Wonderful to be here with you, back together with our church family on this great day to celebrate not only our, our Heavenly Father's love for us, but also the love that we share in families as brothers in Christ, as men of God, all of those great things. You know, towards the end of the school year, I got an email from Bo, my son's English teacher, and that email had an assignment in it. It was the first time I'd gotten an assignment from an English teacher in decades, and so it made me pretty nervous. But in the pattern of one of Shakespeare's characters, this English teacher wanted the parents of her students to write a letter to their sons and daughters, encouraging them and challenging them for the days ahead. She would then take those letters, put them in a sealed envelope, and then hand them out at their senior award ceremony at some point during the month. And so it all came together. I've got to tell you, it was a sort of a daunting assignment. I mean, I am the kind of person I make my life on giving advice. I make my life on, on pulling wisdom from the past and connecting it to the realities of the future. And when you're a pastor and you're writing a, a, an advice letter, a, 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 an epistle to your own son, you want it to be good, right? You don't want it to just, I don't want it to be like a phoning, phoning it, something in or like a greeting card. I want it to be good. And so I put everything I could into it. And then on the night when, when the kids opened their letters after the award ceremony, I looked around and I saw Bo pick up his envelope and he opened it up and I saw the other kids reading their letters and they were, they read one side and some of them turned it over and read the other and there's, and they started talking and moving around the room and there's Bo still sitting in the back turning pages. <laughs> that, that, that won't surprise any of you all, but, but I had a lot to say and, and it was really important to me. But that letter was that, I know it's not the last opportunity I'll have to give advice to my son, but it was an important opportunity. Well, in some ways, the last chapter of Hebrews is the author's assignment to write a letter to his spiritual children, both his sons and his daughters. But today on Father's Day, I want to focus on how this passage challenges us as men to show up as men who follow Jesus Christ. So you thought that after several months you were finished with Hebrews, but there's still one more application to be had on this Father's Day. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. You can read along in your bulletin, you can watch the screens behind me, or you can read along in your own Bible. But this is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, we know that this is your word, and we know that it is completely true and that it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the character and necessity of manhood. First, the necessity of manhood. Recently, in our Thursday morning Bible study, we were reading Isaiah chapter 3. Now, Isaiah 3 is a bleak chapter. If you want a doom and gloom, fire and brimstone, Old Testament type prophecy, Isaiah 3 delivers. Isaiah was prophesying that Jerusalem, indeed all of Judea, was going to be overrun because its internal corruption had made it weak to its external enemies. The people had given up on the true worship of God. They'd given it up for idolatry. And the corruption of the heart had led to gross political and economic injustice. But then into the midst of this chaos, there is a plea specifically to the men of Israel, to the men of Jerusalem. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader. And this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. Now that is a prophecy, that is a command directed to the men of Israel, the men of Jerusalem. This is a call for them, not just the kings, not just the priests, but to all men, to the fathers, to the sons, to the friends, to step up and to do something to save Judah. But listen to verse 7. In that day... Those who got that message will speak out saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me a leader of the people. Not my circus, not my monkey, not my problem. I mean, this is unbelievable. When the nation, when the people, when their families, their communities need them most, the men of Jerusalem say, not me. Not my problem. There's nothing in it for me. No profit, no bread, no cloak. I'm not going to be a healer. I'm not going to be a leader. You go find somebody else. Uh-uh. I'm, nope, I'm stepping out. This isn't for me. Not my turn. And what happened when these men of Jerusalem didn't step up? What happened when they refused this responsibility? The Bible tells us that the city fell. The nation collapsed and these very men and their families were carried off either into exile in Babylon or off into oblivion. Brothers, our city, our nation, our communities, and our families are likewise under siege. I don't need to explain it. You just need to turn on the TV or pull up your favorite social media platform and you will see that we are in crisis. 
And when men don't show up as fathers, as friends, as sons, as supporters, as coaches, as players, when we don't show up or when we allow ourselves to be redefined or set aside, the world falls apart. Men have to show up. So here's the question. Brothers, are we going to hide or are we going to show up? It's not just a question of if we will show up. It's also a question of how we're going to show up. Because right now it seems like we're presented with a false choice. Either toxic masculinity or forfeited masculinity. We're given a choice. Either we show up bad, playing into all of the stereotypes that portray men as immature, doltish, predatory, oversexed, aggressive, and brutish, misogynistic, abusive to women, and violent to our neighbors, or we don't show up at all. So chastened by the criticisms of the media, so chastened by our cancel culture, and so guilty for the bad behavior of the past, that we abdicate our responsibility. Or we redefine manhood into something so docile and so impotent as to be meaningless. And we forfeit our gender altogether. So either we show up bad or we don't show up at all. Those seem to be our choices right now. And you know what? I don't like those choices. I think there is another way. Because here's the truth. Manhood is necessary. And men, the world needs us to show up. So we need another choice other than the poles of toxic masculinity or forfeited masculinity. We need another choice, and I believe that that choice is godly masculinity. So how are we going to show up as men who follow Jesus Christ in a time of profound cultural and social crisis? Godly masculinity has to be our goal. So what is godly masculinity? Well, this is where we turn back to the book of Hebrews. The last chapter of Hebrews is about how we show up as men who follow Jesus Christ. And it's based on what the author of Hebrews calls brotherly love. Look at verse 1. Now we've all heard in 1 Corinthians that love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That is love described in 1 Corinthians. But this love mentioned here is a special kind of love, a, a particular kind of love. The Greek word here is the word Philadelphia. And it literally means brotherly love. And as I told Joe in the early service, this has nothing to do with the eagles. 
This is about a certain type of love. Brotherly love. What does that mean? Brotherly love, Philadelphia, is love in the trenches. It's the kind of love that exists because we have suffered or endured something together. This is the love of a friend who's been through it with you. In reality, this is the love that exists in the context of friendship. That's born in battle or some kind of conflict. It is fraternity. It is brotherhood. And the reason that he brings up Philadelphia is because men need other godly men in their lives. This is men standing shoulder to shoulder. It is the love that is love enough to forgive, love enough to help, love enough to hold accountable, love enough to step in when there is a problem. It's love enough to be vulnerable. It's also love enough to remind us of our responsibilities and to give us the self-control that we need when we can't muster that self-control ourselves. This is love enough to want the best for your brothers and love enough to bring out the best in one another. Last spring, Gardner Peavy, who is the chair of our men's ministry, quoted a study that reported that men lead increasingly isolated lives. We've got lots of contacts, we've got lots of clients, we've got lots of acquaintances, but few really good friends. And that's a problem. So right here at the beginning, here at the beginning of chapter 13, the author of Hebrews recognizes this problem, that it was not just a problem for us, that it was a problem for them back then, and he says that we cannot face our challenges alone. We need friends. We need brothers. And so how do we as men make one another better? How do we do what the book of Proverbs says about iron sharpening iron? Well, what we learn here is that the world needs men who care about one another, who care about discipleship, development, the health, and the growth of other men. We begin with brotherly love. And one of the important elements of brotherly love, he talks about in verse 2, is hospitality. Now this phrase about entertaining angels unawares comes from a story of the patriarch, that means father, Abraham, the father of Israel, in Genesis chapter 18. According to this story, Abraham was sitting outside of his tent one day when the Lord, who was in disguise, came walking down the road with two of his angels. When, when Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent door and he bowed and he met them and he bowed himself to the earth and he said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now in this encounter with the Lord and his angels, Abraham learned two things. That finally, after years of waiting, within a year, he would finally have a son, that son that God had promised to give to him and to Sarah, upon which he would build a great nation. It was finally going to happen. And had Abraham not welcomed these, these strangers into his home, into his tent, he would have never found that out. The other thing he learned was that God was about to destroy 
Sodom and Gomorrah. And so when Abraham discovered this, he pled with God and he saved his nephew Lot by pleading for his life. But what we learn in this story is that Abraham was not only the father of a nation. He was a warrior. He was a defender of his people. He was in the business of protecting them from harm. But in this story, we also learn that he was willing to take a risk. He had courage enough to open his home to a stranger. What if Abraham had turned the strangers away? What if he had not trusted in God's providence? What if he had slammed the door of his heart as well as the door of his tent? I guess tents don't really have doors, do they? That's, that sort of loses something there, but you know what I mean. What if he had closed himself off? Beloved, if we want God to use us for his purposes, then we must welcome him in, but we must also be ready to welcome in the people that he sends into our tents and into our hearts. And we need to remember that because sometimes as men, we want to shut ourselves off. We say, that's his problem. That guy needs to figure that thing out on his own. But the author of Hebrews is using this illustration to say, no, we need to open our hearts to our brothers. As men, we often believe that our job and our only role is to stand on a wall and shut out the world. But if all we see is devils, we will miss the angels. If we are always guarding against the demonic, we will never discover the angelic. If we are always guarding against the curses, we will miss the blessings. The world needs men with open hands and open hearts who are always on the lookout for the people that the Lord is bringing to us. The family next door, the troubled teenager, the suffering widow, the brother who is lost. Who are the neighbors? Who are even the brothers outside of our circle, economically, politically, racially, culturally? Who are those people outside of our circle that we need to welcome into our circle? Next, brotherly love is about empathy for your children and others. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, as though, in prison, uh, as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. This is a call for empathy. Empathy is that human capacity to resonate with the pain of others. Now, even though we all carry our own unique pain, empathy is that quality of human intelligence that says, you know what? I get it. I hear you. I see you. I haven't been through that exact thing myself, but I get what you're feeling. I understand that you are suffering. I've been there. It's the opposite of arrogance, of apathy, of indifference where we keep people at a distance and say, your pain doesn't matter. Your suffering, your brokenness doesn't matter to me. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we need to stand with our brothers, those who are suffering for their faith, who are in prison, like the early Christians who were being persecuted for their faith, 
but also to stand by the brothers who are struggling with their faith, who have stumbled, who are backsliding, who are losing hope, even those who are wandered and those who are lost. Brotherly love remembers what it's like to be lost, to be broken, to be in pain. So brotherly love remembers what it was like to be a middle schooler or a high schooler. Brotherly love remembers what it's like to be a young adult or to be the low man on the ladder at work. Do you remember what it was like to be a new dad, the father of a teenager? These brothers, these younger brothers, need someone who gets it, somebody who's been there, someone who understands that, and someone who can help them take the next step. They need people of empathy, brothers of empathy. Brotherly love understands what it means to carry the weight of family, of employees, of students, of a team. It understands what it means to bear the responsibility for the health and welfare of those whom the Lord has entrusted to your care. And there are few qualities more godlike and more Christ-like than empathy. Consider this. Our Heavenly Father has empathy for us because He remembers what it was like to be a human being. To be down in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of this life because He has been here. So God wants us not to be detached. Don't be an island. What life experience, what past sin or struggle has God given you so that you can extend special grace to somebody struggling with the same thing? Brothers, the world needs men with empathy. Not men who feel nothing, but those who feel the weight and the brokenness of others in need. Next, the author of Hebrews says that Brotherly love honors marriage. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. I would also say keep the mind undefiled. This means more than just refraining from abuse or refraining from adultery. He is commanding us to honor our wives and honor our marriages. To hold this sacred commitment more holy and more precious than any other relationship or possession you have, save your relationship with Christ. How are we to love our wives? As Paul says in Ephesians, as Christ loved the church, giving his life for her. Brothers, one of the best things that you can do for your children over the people under your influence is to give them a vision, if only a human vision, of a healthy marriage. Because that vision is, a, is an illustration of Christ's love for his bride, the church, and for them. A healthy marriage models a relationship of grace and affection that teaches our sons how they should love and cherish their future wives, and that shows our daughters what they should expect from the men to whom they will commit their marriage. Now we should also learn to honor the marriages of others, seeking to help or seeking the health of other people's marriages as well as our own. It's okay that I have a marriage that's healthy. 
But if yours isn't, yours isn't okay, well, that's not good for me either. I want your marriage to be as healthy as my marriage. And so we have to be careful that we don't work against that. Don't allow yourself through gossip or arrogance or misplaced sense of heroism to, to undermine or to become a wedge or a distraction or temptation in another's marriage. One of the things that I always say at, at, during a wedding service is that blessed is anyone who upholds this couple in their marriage. But woe be unto you who would pledge your support today and turn against them tomorrow. We are called to uphold marriage in honor. Instead of becoming a problem, help others to find the help they need to be healthy in the covenants in which God has placed them. The world needs men who honor marriage. He says this, he says, be free of idolatry because your life is in God's care. How does he say it? Look at verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is where I go from preaching to meddling. Because he's talking about money. And when that provider instinct in men is challenged, we have to realize that sometimes that's hitting a spiritual nerve. Because money can either be a tool or money can be an idol. In either case, it's a spiritual matter. When we use God's resources for God's purposes, we call that stewardship. But when we no longer control our money and our money begins to control us, we call that idolatry. Here's the problem. We trust our money for far too many God things. Our security, our worth, our value, our identity, our happiness, our love. Instead of teaching our children to idolize money, we need to teach them to find their satisfaction in God. Remember, money, or by another name, mammon, never said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. God said that. My money leaves me all the time. Think about this too. This is sort of ironic. We trust our money, but even our money says trust God. So what are you teaching your children and the people around you about money? I don't mean what you're telling them. I mean what are you really teaching them by what they observe? Do you control it or does it and its love or its fear control you? Is it, are you a steward or, or an idolater? I think as Christian men, we need to reboot the system and teach young men and women that there's more to life than what you accumulate in this life. There is more to life than trophies and idols and the applause of our culture. And so the world needs men who trust more in their creator than they do in the things that they have made or make for themselves. Next he says, remember your mentors, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let me ask you this. Who are the men and women who have spoken God's truth into your life? Who are your spiritual fathers and mothers? You didn't get here on your own. 
So I have two important questions. Who are the men who have spoken into your life? And who are the men who are speaking into your life right now? Are there still people speaking into your life? You know, over the years, I've had some wonderful mentors, men who've passed on, Dan McCall, Arnold Lovell, Louis Zabendon. I'm also blessed that my father is still an active presence in my life and in the life of my children. He has shared with me writings, his thoughts, his wisdom, year after year, his love, his joy, his sense of humor. I'm blessed that my father-in-law is still an active presence in my life and in the life of my children. And you know, on Thursday morning, I have the privilege of leading a Bible study. I made the mistake earlier of saying that everybody in there but me was over 70. That's not true. They're all over 80 or 90. No, I'm just kidding about that too. Uh, I mean, they're, they're slightly older than me, but here's the way this dynamic works. There's one participant, there's one student in this group and about 25 mentors, several of whom are in this room right now. God is still introducing mentors into my life. I'm so blessed to have men like Joe Moore and Ron Skates and, and others pouring into my life right now as mentors. You see, brothers, the world needs men who are under the authority of others, who are led by the wisdom of others, who are subject to the accountability of others. And I know that this has gone a little bit long, but again, multiple page lettered my son. <laughs> this is one last point I really need to make. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Brotherly love requires that we remember Jesus and that what you believe matters. Verse 9 says, do not be, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Here's a secret. He's not really talking about food. He's talking about what we consume with our hearts and with our minds. You see, we too often feed on things and we consume too much that is not of the Lord. I mean, you've all heard in recent years about the huge problem that we have with men and the addiction to pornography in this country. It's not just an addiction to pornography. What about an addiction to, to corrosive news or to entertainment that, that, that doesn't lift up but rather tears down, that confuses and perverts? How much of this are we just eating, gobbling up, consuming every day? Are we feeding our minds and our hearts with the food of God, with the food of light, or with the food of darkness, of the flesh? That's an important question because fathers are not just called to be the bosses and the protectors and the providers and the commanders of our homes. We are called to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. Do you know the word of God well enough to recognize the lies of the flesh? I'm not talking about your common sense. I'm not talking about your gut. Do you know the word of God well enough to recognize the lies of the flesh? Do you know the real thing well enough to recognize a counterfeit? I mean, you may feel like you know the truth when you hear it in your gut, but do you know the truth of God when you hear it? 
You see, if we're still in the flesh, then very often the the lies of the flesh resonate with us more than the Word of God. That's why we have to know the Word of God itself. We need to know how to tell the difference between the truth and the real thing. We need to know the Bible and take it seriously. Because this world, this world needs men who know the Word, who know the world, and who know the difference. Do we know the difference? It all starts with this. Do you know the Lord? First Peter says, First, sanctify God in your heart and always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Again, if we can't do it without our brothers, we certainly can't do it without Jesus. But guess what? Here this is a word of grace. You are not alone. Because it is not for nothing that Jesus said, remember, I will be with you until the end of the age. You're not alone. That's why the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you hear the grace in that statement? That means that no matter what you've done, or no matter what happens in your life right now, when God forgave you yesterday, you're still forgiven today. When He loves you now, that means He's going to love you tomorrow. When He says that He's going to be with you until the end of the age, that does mean that He cares about you right now. Again, the author of Hebrews quotes what God said to Joshua over and over again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone, brother, man. So most of all, in summary, what this world needs is men who are willing to bet their lives on Jesus Christ. The world needs men who know that God is real, that he loves us, that he has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever, that he has a place for you at his table and he has a place and a position for you on his team. So, brothers, how are we showing up as men who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ? How are we showing up as disciples in a time of profound cultural and social chaos? Manhood matters. It is necessary. Brothers, men, the world needs you. We have to show up. Bet your life. Bet your manhood. Bet your family, bet your community, bet your state, bet your country, bet your future on Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, today we need men to show up and to step up. We need men who are hospitable, empathetic, who know you, who know the world, and who know the difference. We need men who will stand by one another. And we need men 
who will not fall to the temptations of idolatry. Lord, empower the men that you have placed in positions of influence, whether over families or in friend groups or whatever occasion, school, wherever it may be. Lord, empower us with your grace and your truth so that we can be the men, the disciples, fathers, sons, and friends that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.